0: go to um, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13. (laughs) Well, what a nice day today. It makes you glad that you're an Alaskan, and, and it, I was sitting on the back porch this morning drinking my coffee, uh, reading a little bit of Bible, and enjoying the sunshine in the trees. <clears throat> and uh, then the geese flew over and started honking. <laughs> and he said, Okay, you know, snow's coming. When the geese are leaving, the snow is soon to follow. Jeremiah 13, and verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. And then over in chapter 17. And verse 9, 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, if you've been coming for a while, you know that uh, that we took a little break from our regular study for mission conference and brought out some teaching of the Bible in relationship to missions. But we've been looking at 10 lies that the world believes. And uh, the first one was that truth is relative. And that's a major one today. That truth for you is truth for you, truth for me is truth for me. That everybody has their own opinion. But actually, that's a lie. And the Bible says that the Lord, concerning the Lord, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, the truth is truth, and uh, the Bible really is the basis for truth, and beyond that that even, uh, God himself is the basis for truth. Secondly, we notice the lie that life is random. That is, if I'm in the right place at the right time, then it just happened to turn out for my good, and that life is uh, just how you roll the dice and what comes up. But actually, the Bible teaches that God is in the affairs of men, and He directs us, and guides us, and, and uh, that He is the final control of everyone. And then we looked at uh, the lie that, that tolerance is a noble virtue, and that really goes along with the first one, where truth is relative, that we need to be tolerant of other people's beliefs. And actually... Intolerance today is seen as one of the most evil things of society. But actually, actually, truth is truth, that we can't be tolerant of, of error. And the Bible teaches that when we know the truth, the truth can make us free. Fourthly, we notice that, uh, that the lie that what we have has lasting value and every, it seems like the the great push today is to is to obtain things and and uh, get our life in a situation where we can be comfortable and and that uh, although any thinking man understands that uh, we don't pull a U-Haul trailer with us into heaven. Nevertheless, all of us live for is uh, is the uh, the moment of the day and. Uh, the fact that, the uh, idea that what I have is what really matters. But the Bible tells us that we brought nothing into this world and we can't carry it out. And that uh, when we die, everything we have is going to stay here. And then I uh, noticed uh, the, the lie that, that the chief goal in life is to be happy. And I think that's, a, that's even a lie that's embraced by many, quote, uh, Christians. But actually, it's not about us. It never has been about us. And actually, when we get that straight and understand that our chief goal in life is to, is to uh, as a popular confession of faith says, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and, and fully to enjoy Him forever. And actually, I think we'll find that when we realize that it's not about us and it's about the Lord, then we do begin to enjoy true happiness. And then uh, the last time we were here, we really kind of put two thoughts together. And that was the idea that the good outweighs the bad and that man is basically good. uh, But the Bible tells us there's none good, no, not one. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is just filthy rags. And so this morning, we're looking at lie number eight. We have two more to go after this. But the lie that you can change yourself, that you can make yourself better, and, and particularly we're talking about in a moral way, and in a spiritual way, not necessarily changing yourself by becoming more healthy in your habits, but we're talking about spiritually and morally And this idea is prominent today, and let me kind of give you a a background to this idea that we can change ourselves. There was a Frenchman by the name of M.O. Kou, C-O-U, I guess I'm pronouncing that right. He was born in uh, 1857. He died in 1926, and he introduced to the world this idea of psychotherapy, of self-improvement. And he uh, suggested that we can change our life by the way we think. And he, his, his advice was, at least 20 times a day, you need to say to yourself, every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Every day, and in every way, I'm getting better and better. And, uh, and preferably, uh, you make sure you say that in the morning for sure, and in the evening before you uh, go to sleep. And that idea has taken, uh, it took on great uh, importance in the sense of, uh, of people responding to that. Uh, some of you have heard of Norman Vincent Peale. He was a disciple of Coup, um the power of positive thinking. Robert Shuler, uh he passed of course Cathedral. And this idea that if I think right and encourage myself that, that it's going to change me spiritually. Sure wrote books like uh, Be, uh, The Be Happy Attitude, Eight Positive Attitudes that can, can uh, transform my life. Uh, he wrote a book called Believe in God Who Believes in You. <laughs> the greatest possible thinker that ever, uh, the greatest possibility thinker that ever lived. He wrote a book called Peace of Mind Through Possibility, possibility Thinking. Uh, power thoughts, self-love, the dynamic of force of success. You can become a person you want to be. Uh, some of uh, Schuler's quotes, uh, to be born again means that we must be changed from a negative to a positive self-image, and so what the Bible teaches is being born again, Schuller has interpreted to be changing a positive self-image uh, from inferior, an inferiority idea to self-esteem. When uh, I don't know if Paul would agree with that when he said, "There's nothing good, no not one." Sin is an act or thought that robs myself of another human being or his or her self-esteem. And so, the way Schuller defined sin was that if I have a low self-esteem, or sin, really what sin is, is for me to uh, that, that for me to come to the conclusion that I'm deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Uh, in an article in Christianity Today, Schuller said in 1984. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than that often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware they're lost in sinful condition. And so he said it's a very negative thing to tell people that they're lost and in a sinful condition. He says this: What is hell? Hell is the loss of pride that naturally follows separation from God. And so, when I lose the pride of myself, then that's really very destructive. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was Christ's encounter with hell in that hellish death our Lord experienced the element horror? Humiliation, shame, and loss of pride as a being, as a human being. A person is in hell when he's lost his self-esteem. Can you imagine any condition more tragic than to live eternity in shame? Well, uh, Paul, when he talked about his self-esteem, he said, It's by the grace of God I am what I am. And so, this uh, thinking by Ku and Peel and Schuler, although they're dead, is still is perpetuated today. Uh, and among them would be Joel Osteen in his positive thinking. And so, God uh, has a different picture of mankind. Even this, uh, even this idea, I think, that, uh, that we have possibly used in evangelism where we say uh, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life may need to be rethought. God does love the world, and he proved that by saying his son to die for us. But listen... The plan that God has for a person who is unrepentant of his sin is not going to be a wonderful plan. It's going to be something that needs to be feared. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the truth, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And so, this idea, this positive thinking idea. This idea that well, we can change ourselves and become better, and of course, as I said, we're not talking about you know uh, losing weight or or stopping smoking or finding a better job, but we're referring to our nature as a sinner. Mm. That even, you know, I mean, many times people have turned over new leaves, they've given up addictions, and they've even adopted Christian principles but at the core in their innermost being nothing's changed and and that's impossible as our text said can an Ethiopian change his skin that is can a black man change the color of his skin or the animal the leopard change his spots if that's possible then may we also do good and so, when we, when we look at this, we see that God very emphatically says that there's something inherently wrong with mankind that comes from the fall of Adam by one man sinning in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all sinned. that we inherit some things from our ancestors that uh, can't be changed. We can't change them ourselves. That, that this idea of pulling ourselves up from our own bootstrap, this idea of, well, I'm going to start going to church and I'm going to start doing better and being better, that, that, that there's, some, there's some value in living a better life, but there's no merit with God. And it's not, you've not changed the core. At the core, there's something wrong. When you look at here in 17 and 9, it says, it says here, the heart, where we live, not the, the organ, but our thinking, our attitudes, our heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately w- wicked. That is, uh, when you see this, it says it's, it's deceitful above all things. What does that mean? it means all things. That that our heart is more wicked than anything else. It's more deceitful than anything else. That our heart is more corrupt than anything else. That that our heart, when you compare other things that are rotten, uh, our heart is at the top of that. There's something fundamentally wrong with mankind. And he's so wrong that he's not able to uh, change his life. He may change his way of life. He may change the way that he lives, but at the core, in his innermost being, there's a problem. It's subtle. It's uh, it's false. And Mark said, "For within." Out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, achieviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so uh, men can remove themselves from... Society. They can live a monk like life and get rid of all attachments to the internet and, and uh, communication and go live in the mountains alone. But the problem is they take themselves with them. And the uh, changing of location doesn't change the nature. And that's a, that's a misunderstanding that our society hasn't grasped. That's why when we ask people on the street or in our homes, do you consider yourself to be a good person? 99.9% of the time, the answer is going to be, well, yeah, I consider myself to be a good person. When there's none good, the Bible says, no, not one. Now, we're either going to side with God or we're going to continue believing what we believe. And I would suggest to you that if we don't side with God, we're going to come up on the short end of the stick. And so he says it's desperately wicked. One person. Translates it as, or defines it It, it, as, it's incurable when it's desperately wicked. It's mortally sick. There is nothing that can help uh, the wicked, desperate heart. Um, The heart, when we term the heart, we're talking about spiritually, it has to do with the conscience and uh, when it talks here about our conscience and our innermost being of all of us he's saying that there's something desperately wicked, deceitful and uh, it leaves it leaves a very little hope there's not when you look at that verse the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it at least listen, at least nothing to work with. You don't have anything to work with. When you're trying to trying to conform, uh, you have nothing to work with. That's why the, the New Deal, the new society and, and all the different things that we've tried as a nation in the past doesn't work. And we can build houses for people to go live in and take them, you know, the idea that if we get them out of the ghettos, if we get them out of their living situation and bring them to a better living situation, that things are going to change. But when we bring them to the, the, the new place, uh, we bring them. We bring we, we bring rottenness into what we want to be good. And it's not going to work. And, I mean, you all know this, but but we need to somehow be more effective of conveying it to the world that when a person says, well, I'm trying, you know, I gave up smoking, I gave up drinking, and, well, that's all good, but that doesn't solve the problem because the problem is much deeper than that. And the problem is your relationship with, with the Lord. And then he says here, who can know it? It's so corrupt you see, here's the here's the here's the deal. That that prior to salvation, my life was so corrupt that I didn't even know myself. Yeah, because because in myself, I was a pretty good guy when. Uh, My life was nothing but a garbage pit, putrid in the eyes of the Lord. Who can know it? I'm not suggesting here that uh, God can't know it because God does know it. But I'm suggesting here that because my heart is so deceitful, I I I can't be a good judge. Of myself. Have you ever known people who actually seem like they believe their own lies? (laughs) I think all of us had at that point at one time that we believe, yeah, you're pretty good. You know, you're just as good as that person. And uh, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as uh, as others. And uh, it's a lie. The psalmist says, stand in awe and sin not and commune with your your own heart upon your bed and be still. As we stand in awe, our sinful hearts are exposed. Look over with me into 1 John um, chapter 3 in the epistle of 1 John, not the gospel, in the back of your Bible. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. In 1 John three twenty, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God and whatsoever we shall ask in Him, because we can keep His commandments and do these things that are pleasant in His sight, that that even the hope for us is that God is greater than our hearts, and that change is possible. So let's just uh, analyze this a little deeper. The thought, the idea... The idea that we can morally change ourselves, that you can uh, say positive things, and every day in every way I'm getting better. What, what it, what it, it, the, the, one of the major things it ignores is it, to ignore total depravity. That's a theological term that man is depraved and that he's totally depraved. And and I think it's important to kind of understand that. It's a summary. There's a common uh, misconception when we talk about total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that I'm as wicked as I can be or as wicked as The most wicked people in the world. That's not what total depravity is talking about. Neither does it mean that man doesn't have the ability to do things that are seen as positive uh, in this world. Uh, Some philanthropists will uh, give money for great causes. There's the other day I was talking to the guy who delivers food here for the food bank on on Friday, and he was talking about how that, you know, although they didn't pay much, he just saw that him driving the truck and delivering food was kind of his way to benefit society and and uh, make him feel good about himself, I guess. And, and uh, those, uh, when we talk about total depravity, we're not talking about, the fact that good things can't be done but when we're talking about total depravity we're talking about that uh, that every part of man has been tainted I don't know if I, how you say tainted I guess we felt like that this morning uh, that it's been tainted with sin well man, we found out with David, while man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, that, you see, uh, you see, even when, when, uh, like this food bank driver, when he's talked about how that he considered it, you know, his uh, privilege or his right to deliver food, and uh, it was almost like it gives him, you know, An extra, you know, a chink on his chart or gives him uh, an up with God. You see, uh, we need to question why we do good. Is it to exalt ourselves really in the end? And we can fall in that trap even as Christians. We ought to. The, the you know the very, the, the very reason a lost person gives and uh, sacrifices, it can be so it will benefit him and is not given sacrificially in that sense. The good done by the lost man proceeds from a heart that's in rebellion against God. And the Bible tells us that there's none good, no, not one. And so when we we talk about total depravity, we're talking about every aspect of our lives has been affected. And let's note some of that. First of all, look in uh, Jeremiah here. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so we find that uh, when we talk about mankind, that that the heart has been depraved, the, the heart has been affected, that I can't do things with a pure heart, that there's a motive behind it, that my thinking, who can know it? Then look over in, uh, in uh, Psalms 51. and uh, Psalms 51 and verse 5. Psalms fifty-one five, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that he was conceived in an adulterous act, but we find that that uh, <coughs> that the heart is affected, and even even conception that. Uh, uh, Susie and I was thinking about because Rebecca's getting married soon. We, we were talking about you know she's our first daughter, and uh, and how how perfect she was when she came, you know, and how we held her and, and you know and how wonderful and and actually I got some other kids here, so we really felt that way about all of you, but <laughs> but uh, but she was the first one and. Uh, And she came into this world, didn't take long to understand that uh, she uh, inherited some things from her father. (laughs) And a sinful nature. In Ephesians, it tells us that, uh, that we were dead in trespasses and sin. And so conception and so when we we we're, we're told of depravity, we says that we're dead in trespasses and sin, and uh, we need to understand what that dead means. It's not as a Calvinist would teach you that inability to do anything, uh, in, but it means that death is a separation. That when those, when spiritually we're born into this world, separated from God, we're dead in trespasses and sin. When we die physically. Our bodies are separated from our souls, and in eternity, we'll be separated if you are lost, separated from God forever. And so that that has affected us. And John, it says, and this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light. And so, uh, what I what I love in that, uh, that in darkness, men love darkness. I want to. I don't. You know. I remember as a child the gospel being preached and invitation given, and I just, I just hoped that there would only be three verses of the invitation, and then as soon as uh, the the last prayer was said, I'd get out of there as fast as I could, because I hated the light. I wanted to get back into the darkness. Romans says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all, gone, they're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And so total depravity has the idea that uh, none of us seek God. Uh, how should I say that? We'll not seek God. Now I know in the Old Testament it says, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. But I think if you study it, that out completely, you'll find that seeking the Lord while he may be found is prompted by the fact that he seeks you first. And he's drawing you. And he's saying, you know, acknowledge that he's drawing you. Acknowledge that he's convicting you. And that, that but man left alone, he is so depraved, that he won't even seek to know his creator. God is not in all their thoughts. In the book of Romans, that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. And that word, hold, you you understand, means they hold down the truth. They suppress the truth. I don't want to hear that. The natural man receives not the things of God, for well, their foolishness in him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And so he's depraved. Instead of embracing truth, he suppresses it. As we said, his mind is hostile to God, not subject to the law of God, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither can, indeed can be, so then they are, and the flesh cannot please God. And the psalmist says here, you're in Psalms, look over back in chapter 10 or Psalm 10. Not technically chapters, but like songs in a hymn book. In Psalms 10 and verse 4, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The mankind doesn't naturally go around thinking about God. It makes him it makes him nervous. And even, you know, it's kind of sad but even um, I mean we although we can be born again, we still <laughs> we still have some fleshy things to deal with and and this it's not easy for mankind to enter in the presence of God in prayer and stay there for a great length of time because we're in the presence of God. And here's the deal with we who are saved. When there is unconfessed sin in their life, there's always going to be a wrestling match until we confess it. So... Who then can, uh, who then can, be saved? Total depravity teaches that uh, that we can't seek God. Man's ability to change himself is impossible. And the disciples in Matthew 19 said, uh, Nothing can be saved. And the Lord goes on and answers, With man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. And I don't think that, uh, I don't know if we really uh, enjoy or value our uh, salvation until, uh, until we understand uh, that we are totally depraved. And that we're helpless and hopeless, and that only God can change us. And uh, His change is wonderful and complete. In John chapter 12, the Lord says, "And if I and I, if I be lifted up from the world, will draw all men into me." He tells us in John 16 that he sent the Spirit into this world to reprove the world of sin and righteousness, a judgment to come. And uh, God takes the initiative to repair what we inherited through Adam. A big study about, you know, and Adam all die, but in Christ, he's, the, he's not the second Adam, but he's the last Adam. And we live in him. He's a true light. He, and it says, he's the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so I, I think even as uh, trying to do evangelism, we need to remember that God's, God's working. That he's drawing men to himself. That he's lighting men, that, that in our society when people believe these lies that we've been teaching about, there's still the Spirit of God that's showing that this is a lie. You know, that, uh, that, that uh, uh, you can't uh, you can't bank on that. He's uh, reproving the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Go over to uh, uh, Psalms uh, 52. And we're talking about being changed. And, of course, uh, uh, not Psalms 52, but... Uh, Psalms 51. The psalmist here has sinned, and uh, I don't know if we'll read all of this, but he's, he's come to the point where he acknowledges his sin. And uh, what I wanted you to see is verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so we're talking about this lie that, that you can change yourselves by positive thinking. By having positive thoughts and not going around and saying, you know, that my heart's deceitful above all things and are desperately wicked. Not agreeing with God about it. And David here, he says something very interesting. He says, "He says, create, create within me a new heart." Now, in the Bible, the the word "create" and the word "formed," in, especially in Genesis, there are different. Words. There is there is a word uh, I don't know the one word, but there is a word that's that's in the Hebrew bara, and that's like in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It's used again when it says that He made the wells, and it really really it, it talks about original creation, and then it talks about. Uh, Creation of the soul, when it uses the word living creatures and bara is used there. And the word bara means to make something that's never existed before. To to make something that only God can make. It's different after he created the original creation and it says in God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Uh, He's taken when he formed man. He's taken he's taken the original creation. Time, space, and matter. In the beginning, God created the heaven, space, and the earth, matter, and time. In the beginning, time, time, space, and matter. (laughs) And and when he uses the word create, it's it's to create something out of nothing, which is ex nihilo. But it's something that's never been created before. And what is interesting is when we come to Psalms 51, it is not that God formed a new heart, but it's the word "bara" that is something only God can do. That it, what it's saying <laughs> is this idea that you can change yourself. we're out of our league. <laughs> we're out of our league. Only God can do that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Only God can do that. That's, that's why we oppose and, and should strongly oppose religion. Religion is something that tries to change man from the outward. To reform him. When it comes to salvation, God is not in the reforming business. He's not taking mankind and making them better. you understand? He's not improving us. <laughs> you can't prove, you can't improve terrible meat that set out in the sun for five days, and the maggots are crawling out of it. You can't improve it. I know we try to take caribou meat and smoke it and make it into sausage. No matter what you do to caribou, when you kill it in the wrong time, you can't escape the fact it still smells like goat and tastes worse than that. (laughs) Well, we can't improve ourselves. We can't change ourselves. But I'm not the person I used to be. Because God saved me. And he makes us a new creature. And so, we are not in the business of changing society by by uh, protesting or You know, I don't think it's wrong to protest against abortion. But the problem with the people who can kill children is that it's a problem of the heart. And only God can change that. And so we live in a society that believes that we're getting better and better. The great society of Lyndon Johnson and before that FDR and And the Democrats now think, boy, we got the world by the tail on a downhill pull. We're going to increase uh, food stamps by 25%. We're going to give people unemployment. We don't have to cause it. You know, they're going to go some more without being evicted for not paying their rent. And we're helping them out. And we're going to make them better citizens. Well, or they still have the sin nature, and we have the answer. Okay, and so let's not swallow this idea that that we ourselves are getting better. You know, that I'm going to go to church and we'll read my Bible more, and, and and that's that's something that's that's uh, part of growth. But but uh, the ultimate bottom line is is that. God is trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And that's only a work that God can do. Are you with me? We need to cooperate. But only God can work the change within us. And only God could save us. And so what a glorious hope we have to offer the world. Not... That we're going to change society. Not that we're going to make your living conditions easier. But the fact that you can have a new heart. And that you are going to inherit a place where gold is like gravel. It just paves the streets. All right? And so why would we not want to go and shut that message from the housetops and share it with the world and say, "Listen, your hope, where you're placing your hope is not, it's hopeless. you're not going to be able to change yourself in relationship to eternal things. But God's not going to change, and what God requires, it's not just living better, but God requires 100 percent righteousness. That's what He requires. There's nobody going into heaven that's not 100 percent righteous. And you can't do that. And I can't do that. But when we get saved, He makes us a new creature. It's a bara creation. It's something only God can do. And when He does it, it's perfect.